Hello and welcome to the ALC Pan-African Radio's Talking Africa program. Talking Africa provides in-depth interviews with experts and other actors in the field of peace and security in Africa. Hello, uh, I'm Desmond Davis. My guest today is Hassan Abdi Abdili, Executive Director of Muslims for Human Rights, Muhuri, in Mombasa. Uh, Hassan, uh, could you just give us a bit of background of this uh, organization? I mean, is it just made up of Muslims working within Muslim communities? This organization is Muslims for Human Rights, Muhuri, with acronym Muhuri. And basically, the mandate of this institution is to promote and protect human rights. Uh, protect and protect, promote and protect human rights within the coast region, but we also cover national issues that of, that of concern. And uh, we don't only work with Muslims, it is, it is the only, it's only the name that suggests Muslims because the initial beginners of this organization were Muslims uh, of high, high caliber, people you know worked in the, in the activism sector and they thought like Muslims are not participating in human rights, so they, they carved that name for Muslims for human but Basically, the institution is a secular institution and it has nothing to do with the Muslims and it, it fights for the rights of every individual, specifically every individual, uh, whatever, whatever religion you are or whatever creed you are, doesn't matter. So 60% of the staff of, uh, of Muhuri are also non-Muslims, so maybe only get 40% of the, of the uh, staff for the institution are uh, are Muslims, but 60%, over 60% are Muslims. Okay. It has been around now since 1997, 20 years ago. Uh, how effective has it been in, in its work within the coastal community? It has been very, I would want to say, of course we have challenges within an institution, but it's an institution that has always been gaining momentum in, in, in Kenya and in the coast, and uh, specifically focusing on uh, you know, the rights of people who are vulnerable uh, and, and, you know, people who are voiceless. So Mohuri was given that voice specifically and to do advocacy around those issues. And what we do is like, we don't really do the voice ourselves, the community do it for themselves, but we empower and uh, allow them to participate in their decision making. But one of the, uh, well, the major problem of the coast now is youth uh, radicalization and extremism. How far have you gone? In tackling that uh, situation? Generally, it has been a problem. Domestic terrorism is very real in, in, in the coast, and uh, youth have been getting radicalized, radicalized, and uh, Muhuri has been very instrumental in engaging with some of these, uh, with the communities uh, within the coast, specifically to fight the vice the, of terrorism. And uh, our, 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 our program really focuses, our programs really focus on how we can engage, uh, constructive engagement between government and communities. And we, you know, we bring the, we, we ask the government to go closer to the communities so that people don't, don't get radicalized. Because the narratives that terrorist, terrorist groups use is like, this area is marginalized, uh, you know, you're not part of the system, you're not part of Kenya, and many other issues. So this is the narrative terrorists use, but we've been telling our government to specifically focus on how they can constructively engage with communities and to ensure that, you know, those communities are part and parcel of the process. Well, I mean, that's a very good point you've made because these so-called people who are selling radicalization to the young people are selling it very well. I mean, so the government actually, he's the one that's responsible for not actually selling its own policies to young people. So that's why they're falling into the hands of extremists who actually that's, sell a very good policy, uh, at least a very good I idea think, to them. 
I think generally, Davis, that is very, very, uh, very, very true. And uh, what we felt was like governments were not close to people. And uh, once the government was not close to people, people take use the you know the other groups take advantage of of communities living within the coast because uh, because the feeling they have is like they're marginalised. They've been left out in employment opportunities. You find uh, identity and citizenship is an issue in the coast because these people are not cannot access identity cards on time. And uh, and you know as you know an identity card is everything in in Kenya. You cannot even operate a business or you cannot freely move without an identity card. So citizenship has been an issue. And the narratives the radical groups use, specifically those narratives, and uh, it has been very difficult for 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 it has been also very difficult for the government to engage with people because of the lack of trust uh, communities have with the government. But our emphasis now is to ensure that this government comes closer to its, uh, its citizens, is able to collaborate with uh, its citizens, and ensure that you know they are more closer to, uh, to communities than the radical groups. Yes, but you, you must agree that it's the, the colonial system itself that has created this division. Because, I mean, the, the coast was not part and parcel of the Kenya uh, uh, colonized by the British was just a protectorate. So, I mean, after more than 50 years of independence, the government, I'm sure, is still trying to come together to see how it can integrate the coastal community, don't you think? Uh, I think generally what has been happening is uh, the historical injustices still exist, and uh, some of them have never been addressed. For instance, land was, is an issue in, in the coast, and it's very emotive. And you find there's a lot of land disposition, and indigenous communities cannot access the you know, prime land because uh, the prime land goes to uh, very prominent uh, persons within other parts of Kenya. And this has been an issue uh, uh, within the coast, and communities have really been feeling they're marginalized, they're oppressed, you know, they have no voice, uh, they're not involved in decision making, and all these other issues revolving around land and citizenship has been an issue, and it's true, it's historical, it's historical, but uh, the, the whole thing is made complex by lack of political will uh, from you know, incumbent governments or the regimes that are in power have never been having that political will to support these processes so that the communities once and for all will want to feel they are part of, uh, they are part of Kenya and uh, that has been an issue. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a major point you've made. So can you please explain the problems of citizenship? Because I mean, if you're in Kenya, you're Kenyan. So why is it difficult for people from the coast to, to gain Kenyan citizenship or at least again get a Kenyan passport? Over 50 percent, over 60 60 over 60 over 70 percent of the communities that live in the coast are Muslim are Muslim communities. I mean, uh, they have the Muslim faith, and uh, and uh, and also the other thing which makes it more complex is uh, the coast has been a border region. I mean, like it borders other countries, uh, other countries like uh, Tanzania. Uh, it borders Somalia. Uh, and also borders the Indian Ocean. So uh, this makes it more complex because those communities that live at the border zones have, uh, have to go through a vetting process for them to access identity cards. For instance, if you are Muslim, you have to bring, when you're accessing an identity card and you've attained the age of 18, uh, the vetting process is so tedious that you know, sometimes it's very pre prohibitive and people really get exhausted in the process. For instance, as a Muslim, you need to bring the the, the, the identity cards of your parents, 
then you have to bring the identity cards of your great, your grandparents, and you have to accept, also get make sure that you have also uh, some identification, a form of identification from your great grandparents for you to access these documents, and that has made it more complex. And people consider themselves as second-class citizens within within this country. So, so those are actually the requirements from the government itself. The those government, are requirements government from the in government. Nairobi. Those are requirements from the government, and that makes it more complex. And that is uh, and that is what is generally of concern to these communities. Well, of course, I'm sure that division has been there since even before independence. So, I mean, it's just that the government in Nairobi now has to address it in a more robust manner, don't you think? I, I think for, for us to play a very good uh, playing uh, level ground by playing, for us to really, uh, you know, like uh, show communities are uh, part of the process or part of government, they have to really uh, ensure that those vetting processes are done away with. Otherwise, communities will still complain and continue to complain about these issues. So has Muhuru taken any steps to, uh, uh, we've, to get we've, the changes? Uh, we've, always, uh, we've always fought against this, fought, fought in, in the sense that uh, do advocacy around, uh, around these issues. We've actually taken some of these issues to court uh, and did a public interest, uh, public interest as public interest cases. Uh, we're, calling, we're calling it uh, strategic litigation for communities and uh, public interest litigation. And we've taken these matters to court and we've got some of the verdicts we got were very, very good from the courts and the, and the government was asked to ensure that, um, to, were asked by the courts to, uh, in as much as the vetting process will, uh, will exist, but to ensure that, you know, it's not tedious and, and not prohibitive. What? Uh, given the fact that, like you said, it, it's, the region is, is borders so many countries and uh, it's also the Indian Ocean, yeah, there are times when the government will have to be very, very careful in giving citizenship to people if they're not so sure, because people go back and forth from Kenya, Somalia, Kenya, Somalia. So there are, there are problems there, don't you think? Of course, there are the existing problems, and, uh, but you see, uh, other countries have also citizens who live on both sides, uh, on both sides, and have relatives on the other side, but their process is not as tedious as the one of Kenya. Why can't Kenyan government relax these processes, in as much and, and you know make it much more, much more friendlier? Because uh, much more friendlier, because the, the process now is is is, is very cumbersome, and sometimes uh, the com committee, because have, we have a vetting committee, the committee could use it as a method to oppress uh, those communities. Well, that's very interesting. If they find it too difficult to become citizens, what about the elections? Are they free to vote? Are they free to their fruit? For those who have identity cards and for those who have citizenship, they're free to vote. And uh, because that's the only thing which supports you. Once you're a citizen, then you're free to vote and decide on whoever want you want to elect. Uh, and I think uh, basically one of the good things that happened to, to the coast and to the, generally to the Kenyan uh, uh, community is w when we have uh, uh, now the devolution government and, and that has brought people closer, uh, you know, like uh, people are feeling development is with them now and, and this other process. So our constitution has done great uh, strides in terms of uh, uh, the, the devolution process. Yeah, that's that was what I, about, I was about to ask. Because I mean, how many? I mean, speak, speaking I mean, in terms of um, uh, proportion, 
that people living in the coast do not actually have citizenship, who are actually having problems in accessing uh, citizenship. You can, you can. I, I think, I think generally what is there is twenty percent, over twenty percent, over twenty percent of the youth have been having difficulties accessing uh, citizenship. Specifically, if you are from the Muslim faith. So uh, yeah. So I mean, so will 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 that sort of thing reflect on the outcome of the elections next of week? Course, of course, of uh, course. Of course, there are issues like we are not still part of Kenya. Uh, we are considered uh, as a different group, and once this different group is there, we will have to f uh, see which governments have policies about addressing our issues. Uh, and then, if if, uh, if they have a feeling that uh, there is a certain government that will will come into power, they think will come into power and will address those issues and have, you know, within their ma manifestos about those issues. I think those are the people that will vote. But, but you mentioned the fact that devolution has made some progress. So can't uh, the citizens of uh, Mombasa yep. County fight for their own rights through the devolved government? I mean, the, the, Through the devolved government, yes, it's very necessary. People are doing that. But the problem is the mandate of citizenship lies with the national government. It is still not devolved. So that makes it more complex. So what can the devolved government then do? The devolved governments are mainly basically development issues, like uh, you know, accessing healthcare, education, infrastructure improvement, and many other issues, but they're not so much into the issues of citizenship. Because the security and citizenship issues are with the, the central, mandate of the national government. The central government, yes, the central government. So will, will that one change, really? So, I mean, like your organizations? And we, we, we are doing advocacy around it, and we, we, we are engaging uh, with senior government officials about these issues, and we think uh, the security and uh, citizenship must be devolved. Well, I mean, it's, it's a bit difficult to devolve security, really, but uh, citizenship could be devolved. So, I mean, but, but the generally, you know, the security affects the people on the ground. So I think when it's devolved, and I'm not saying completely devolved, but you see when both the national government and the, and the county governments can collaborate about these issues and have a structure within the county government where you can address the issues of security, I think that makes it much more, more valuable to these people than when it's addressed from, from a top-down approach. So what's the general state of young people in Mombasa, really? Uh, generally, I would want to say there's great improvement uh, in terms of how they engage, uh, because, uh, because institutions like ours are doing advocacy around how you know, they, they need to engage. Specifically, we're talking about constructive engagement. And the constructive engagement is like, uh, you know, we, we are ensuring that the youth can access uh, opportunities within the county governments and be able to access also opportunities within the national government. For instance, the, the uh, devolved, uh, devolved funds. Is there, uh, is there an opportunity where the youth or the women can access? Because our constitution is th says 30% of, of, uh, of, uh, of uh, opportunities must go to vulnerable groups like the youth, women, and people with disabilities. Yeah, I mean, that's the point about uh, vulnerabilities. I mean, uh, how would you describe these people? I mean, why are they vulnerable? Uh, I've, 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 I think I've already explained that. Yes. It's about the issue of having opportunities. And the opportunities, part of it is citizenship. And if you lack citizenship in itself, 
uh, it's really something that can disenfranchise you. So the youth are feeling disenfranchised about having citizenship, about accessing opportunities like employment, and you know the consideration they, sh they need to get uh, from governments in power, whether national or county governments, and all these things makes it, it, makes it more complex. And, uh, and I think that's why they are disempowered, that's why they feel disenfranchised, and that's why they feel like they, they need to be involved in the decision-making process. But what about economic opportunities? And they have also lack of economics, because, because once you are not a citizen, it's a bit difficult for you to access other opportunities, like having bank loans, you know, uh, you know uh, going into businesses, whether small or large scale, it's been difficult for the youth. And where do you get your support from mainly in terms of finances? Uh, our support comes from uh, the international community, uh, especially the West, uh, the ones who support our work. Uh, for instance, we have uh, our fundings uh, from, different, from different groups. We have uh, institutions like the Ford Foundation supporting our work. We have institutions like the like, uh, Open Society Foundation, which supports our initiatives. We have uh, foreign ministries like Norway, the Norway government supports our work. We have the Denmark government, which supports our work. We have the US, the US State Department, which supports some of our initiatives. We, 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 and many other institutions that really support our work. And, 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 and the EU, and the EU. Well, that's interesting, really, when you mentioned the U.S. State Department, given the fact that uh, the current uh, regime, uh, the administration in, uh, in the U.S., is so anti-Muslim. Uh, so, uh, how do you balance that sort of uh, relationship with the uh, U.S. State Department? I think generally we, I would, I wouldn't say it is, uh, the, the, the current U.S. government is just a government that is beginning. Uh, it's about six months old. But uh, we, we, and our focus is mainly human rights, so we engage with the democracy rule of law sector. And that's the area which supports uh, Muhuri. So, uh, and I think uh, the emphasis US has always been to support you know, the issues of democracy and rule of law within a country. And our program really focuses on democracy and rule of law and security issues. You are listening to Talking Africa on the ALC Pan-African Radio. Stay tuned. Uh, welcome back. Uh, my guest today is Ab Hassan Abdi Abdile, the Executive Chairman of the uh, Muslims for Human Rights, Muhuri. Yeah, so I mean, with 20 years experience with the organization, how effective has it been? Of course we have challenges. Uh, for instance, because of our programs we do, sometimes government may see us as people who are uh, undermining their processes or undermining their work because uh, we fight against human rights violations and, uh, and you know, we condemn human rights violations. Uh, and, and, and the institution has actually been doing uh, very well. But uh, two years ago, or one and a half years ago, we had this issue where we were uh, asking government to use rule of law in the issues of extrajudicial killings and, uh, and enforced disappearances. And the government was very angry with us and our accounts were frozen uh, for a while, uh, for about nine months. But we challenged them in courts and we went and to say, because they, were, they accused us of, uh, they accused us of, they suspected us of uh, linking up with terror groups uh, like the Al-Shabaab. 
and uh, and they said we are entities that support terrorism because uh, and uh, and we are not because we fight against uh, gross human rights violations. For instance, extrajudicial killings is illegal in our country, and we always tell our government that they must use uh, rule of law and due, due process must be followed uh, when when you, when you, when you when you you know engage with suspects of terror and that you you don't need they don't need to kill people or make people disappear how did so, you how and, did... and but we took the matter to court yes. and the court exonerated us of all uh, of, 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 of not us linking with the terror groups and said uh, uh, and said like uh, you know the government uh, government uh, made a mistake to 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 say Muri was linked to ter terror group. So how did you survive those nine months without? Uh, we we basically survived. It was a very hard time, but we still continued to survive. Uh, we survived because we had also our own endowments funds, uh, and we were able to keep our staff on, uh, still continue to keep our staff, uh, but we still continue to challenge the, the process in court. And uh, I think we we exonerated. And then the international community was also very vocal about these issues. They said we we can we can never and be attributed to terror groups because they knew our work and what we do. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a very good point you've made because I mean, in the days of communism, if you oppose to a government, they call you communist. Yes. Now governments use terrorism as an excuse to just stifle opposition. So, uh, how do you see that yourself? as an organization that has got Muslims in its name? Uh, but generally we, th we think of, of the, 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 I mean the concept we have is we are Kenyans. And as Kenyans we must be able to exercise our freedom. And freedom of assembly is something very concrete within our constitution. And, uh, and we, continued, we continue to ensure that we fight for those rights and to ensure that communities are also involved in the decision-making process. And sometimes government will feel unhappy about these things. But we still uh, have a mandate to an obligation, and that's what we engage in. Well, yes, actually, you made a very good point about being, you, you, you're Kenyans. So why is it then that uh, young people would want to destroy the society because they're not happy with certain things? Why don't they go through the, the process you want to go through, a peaceful process that will eventually bring change? Why do they have to resort to violence and extremism? You see, if you look at it, it's about disenfranchisement. And communities are angry about these things. And you find young people are angry about these issues because it's about, it's about you know, them uh, being not considered as, as Kenyans, them not being considered as people who can participate in development and, and access opportunities. And these are the narratives radical groups use uh, to lure people into, 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 into these issues. So, uh, and for us, it's like we have to fight against this and we must be able to engage our youth and tell them it is not in the right direction. The most important thing to do is to engage with your government non-violently, uh, without any violence, and ensure you have uh, a participatory uh, process where you, are, you also listen to. And that's what we are doing with the government. So we are, we are building a collaborative approach to this, to this issue. Indeed, because the, the government can counter this extremism by just 
involving the, 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 the people within the coast include, uh, in an inclusive manner. So why isn't the government doing it? Is uh, it because, I mean, they are not in the coast, they are not affected by the uh, extremism? Extremism really affects people within the coast. Actually, they are the ones who really suffer. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So the government then, they're somewhere else. People, they, they, they don't show any interest because it's not directly affecting them. The, 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 the thing is about the political will, but we are still engaging with government and the government has shown some positive, uh, positive strides and uh, are willing to listen and engage with. That's why we are developing, uh, currently we are developing national action plans for CVE in every county and we've already developed four in four counties, that is in Lamu, Mombasa, Kwale and Kilifi. Four have been developed and uh, we, we, and these action plans are to ensure that, you know, government can listen to the people and be able to engage. Whether, 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 it doesn't matter which religion you come from, but basically this thing affects all of us, so we have to engage, and that's why we're drawing the action plans with them. Yes, I noticed you, you've got a legal aid program. How does that work? Our legal aid program basically focuses on, uh, focuses on gross human rights violations. Uh, we may pick cases, but uh, the cases we pick are cases that we think are having gross human rights violations, and uh, which involves like you know people arbitrarily arrested and tortured, or if if uh, if a family has an issue about extrajudicial killings, if a family has an issue about enforced disappearance, and we think these are gross human rights violations, and those are the cases that we we pick them as public interest cases, uh, public interest cases. And when we say public interest cases, it means it involves different uh, diverse communities, for, for instance, from the Muslim faith. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, we bring in those families together as victims and you know, take the matter to, to, to court for due process. In, in 2015, you came out with a, a big report on youth radicalization. And the coast. What were the main points? Uh, the main points were, I, I think, we've come out with two reports. One is about the youth radicalization, yes. uh, the rampant youth radicalization, and two was the counterterrorism approaches the government uses. We, and we produced a book called "We Are Tired of Taking You to Court," uh, which I'll share with you. Uh, and basically, uh, for the the one for we are tired of taking to court was emphasizing on the approaches the government uses to counter terrorism, and we thought like they are not, uh, they're not they don't do it in a humane way, in a humane way because you tend to make people disappear or you tend to uh, kill people. So we were saying, and and the, and the phrase we used for the title we used for the book was coming actually from the Kenya police, from the Kenya anti-terror police, and they said. We are tired of taking these people to court. We will kill them. We will just shoot them and kill them. So, so that's a book we produced, and we were actually saying this approach is counterproductive. The approaches you use of killing or, uh, and, or, or making people disappear is counterproductive and will make more people go into radicalization if you, if you continue doing those things. The best would be to involve communities because the security issues affect communities and they need to be involved in decision-making and be, must be a, a, a process that is very participatory. That is one, one area. The other thing, we, we were also looking at, uh, at uh, what are the push and pull factors uh, that triggers youth to join Al-Shabaab, uh, Al-Shabaab or radical groups. It's like the main things I mentioned, like citizenship is an issue, 
unemployment is an issue. You know, you know, like uh, opportunities. Even those who have gone to universities have no opportunities. So, like employment opportunities or economic opportunities, and all these things are the ones which make uh, the youth uh, vulnerable to to radical groups. Uh, yes, but the point is, Al Shabaab is in Somalia, and. These uh, people who join Al Shabab are, are, are from Kenya, so that that creates a problem too. Al Shabab is not is not a Kenyan. Al Shabab is not a Kenyan. It's a, uh, exactly, Kenyan it's a Somali, but yes. it's a global phenomenon now. It's a global phenomenon, and uh, it is uh, the issues of uh, radical groups is a global global phenomenon, and uh, and uh, it's affecting us like any other any any other any other any other country. And, uh, and, and, that's why, uh, and that's why we think uh, we must be, uh, be able to address factors that can lure our youth to uh, radicalization, be able to address, as Kenyans, we must be able to address those issues. Uh, and, and I think that is uh, a critical issue that we, we, uh, we as an institution do advocacy around that. We must be able to address the factors that can lure or can pull to our youth or uh, to radical issues must be addressed, and once we do that, I think uh, I think we may not say we will eliminate because it's very difficult to eliminate. But I mean the uh, recruitment will reduce. Yeah, because and I mean, then and then the other thing is like uh, some of the radical groups who have come back, uh, persons who have joined Al Shabab and have come back uh, are not integrated into societies. Uh, they are so disenfranchised. Uh, there's a lot of stigma around their families. There's a lot of stigma around their families uh, because the families are condemned by even their neighbors and by, by, you know, by government doesn't have a good approach. So these are issues that we are also asking government. We must be able to put a legal framework in place where we can reintegrate these people who have come back and we can use them positively for these issues. Yeah, it depends because even if the government creates an environment for them to come back, what about their neighbors? Like you said, they are the ones who they have to live with. How, uh, do, how are they reintegrated into society? That is a program we are also actually handling about, about reducing stigma for these families. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're working around that. And we have a program that addresses these issues. And we take them through two programs. One is about them talking about these issues uh, within their neighborhoods and engaging with them. And the other thing is like, we also we have also initiated process like psychosocial support because some of them are post-traumatically stressed, uh, post-traumatic. So we put them on psychosocial support. Uh, However, we've had a lot of problems because there is no proper legal framework in place, and government may accuse us again of linking up with these groups. Uh, so we try to avoid uh, as much as we can, uh, as much as we can, and uh, uh, ask government to really engage with these people directly without us getting involved because some we've already been accused as uh, people linking up or supporting terror groups so we are, we, we are afraid to go into those who have come back like reintegrating them but the fight against terrorism really is not as clear-cut as like a conventional war so you should expect all sorts of atrocities from both sides i mean the, the terrorist uses they use all sorts of uh, underhand tactics. So naturally, when you deal with the regular forces, they themselves are frustrated, so they then use extrajudicial uh, but I think means we, of dealing with the thing is, terrorism. The thing is, we know that terror groups are doing very bad things uh, in society, and uh, it's horrible, it's horrible. But we can also not stay in ourselves as a country 
to use bad approaches to counter that. So we must be able to engage constructively because those who are getting radicalized are within our communities. Why can't we do a participatory uh, process within our communities and allow our communities to have their decision making, their decision making and engage with those families also who are affected? Hassan Abdi Abdila, Executive Director of Muslims for Human Rights, Muhri in Mombasa. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Talking Africa and ALC Pan-African Radio. For these and other programs, please visit our website at alcpanafricanradio.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Radio ALC and on Facebook at African Leadership Center. For feedback on this and other programs, please send an email to info at africanradio.com.